Hey, rock stars, I'm JB, expert salesperson and master presenter. I'm the doctor, psychologist, and behavioral expert. This is the Entrepreneur Mastery Lab Podcast. We're high-performance coaches that help service-based professionals and entrepreneurs take their skills to the next level. 70% of entrepreneurs fail, which is why every week we have real talk with real entrepreneurs to help ensure you are not one of them. We're also the inventors of the Be Rich Mindset. Where we rise to mastery, inspire greatness, celebrate knowledge, and help others along the way. So join us in the lab. And now, on to the show. What is up, rock stars? Welcome back to the lab. I am JB. I'm the doctor. For those of you joining us for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome to the EML, where we have real talk with real professionals pretty much every week, even if it just means one of us. If you happen to be returning, thank you for joining us again. We love to have you here, whether it's listening in or watching us on YouTube. And if you haven't yet, please go ahead, give us a like, subscribe, or follow. We do this so we can impact more people, and we'd love your help with that. Ring that bell. I was going to sing that, but I better figured the audience wouldn't want that. Well, I kind of want it. Sing Too it late. for me. No. Well, you want we'll serenade me? Our anniversary is is coming up. Depending on when this releases, our anniversary, our three year anniversary together, ha has coming on. Are you going to sing to me then? I probably won't get any gifts. So I mean, you don't you don't love me enough. I I I get the gift of attention gab. and gab. time and gab. gab. Yeah, you missed the easy one. Gab the gift. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what the real gift here is today. Uh, it's our guest. Oh, that's for sure. This is definitely not me. That was way too easy of a segue, by the way. That would, that just made it so much fun. I am super excited to introduce a Sherry Warner. Sherry, thank you so much for joining us. She is the owner of Serendipity Counseling and Consulting. Sherry, welcome. Hi, fellas. Good to be here with you all. Nice way to spend yes. the Friday afternoon. Absolutely. And You'd for any that of our listeners, Monday morning. What's better, Monday morning sherry or Friday afternoon sherry? I gotta, I gotta ask. Friday afternoon sherry is much better. You don't want to see <laughs> Monday morning sherry. She's not a morning person. <laughs> okay, so this is great. I love for our audience and our viewers to get a better feel for who you are and and what you do. They already know you're not a Monday morning person, but what else can you tell them? Well, uh, like you introduced earlier, I am Sherry Warner, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and an attorney here in the state of Florida. I am the owner of a private group practice um, called Serendipity Counseling and Consulting. And I'm also the founder and clinical director of a nonprofit called Serendipity Women's Mental Wellness Foundation, where we offer low to no cost therapy to adult women and teen girls here in the state of Florida. How long have you been doing it, Sherry? Which one? Both sides. Both sides. I have been practicing as a therapist for about 11 years. I've had my private practice for six years and I've had the nonprofit for two years. Okay. So the nonprofit's relatively new. It is. It is. That's exciting. I, I always, I always want to know, and, and I might as well just ask now, cause I'm, I'm very curious mm -hmm. what, what drove you to open the nonprofit what was the impetus behind that? Well, so I think it was just before COVID hit. Um, there's, you know, BC and AC before COVID and after COVID. So just before COVID hit, 
uh, a young lady came to me and she wanted services and she has Medicaid and I'm a Medicaid approved provider. And so I had a session with her and a thought came, I was like, you know, check the benefits one more time. And I checked it and she did indeed have Medicaid coverage. It just didn't cover behavioral health services. And she was devastated because she was in a place where she really, really, really needed some assistance. But I was also not in a place where I could do pro bono services at that time. I was still growing. But I wondered what would happen if there was a, a, a means of providing services to women like her who wanted it, needed it, but couldn't afford to pay out of pocket, or they had ridiculously high deductibles. And th th there's so many people out there that have these like 1,500, 10,000, $5,000 deductibles that they'll never meet in a one year period. Um, or some of them, their, um, their co-pays are too high and they can't afford it. And they don't have EAP um, services to get even three or five sessions in. And so I decided, you know what? My practice is growing, it's doing relatively well. I think I could offer pro bono services in a structured way. And for me, that was starting the nonprofit. So I learned something mm -hmm. here today because I work tangentially with uh, with Medicaid on occasion, you know, Medicare more often. Uh, so for any of our listeners who don't know the difference, Medicare and Medicaid, Medicare is is really you know self paid. Everybody pretty much jumps on it at age sixty five or after you stop work. Medicaid is a little bit can, welfare, safe to say, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's a little bit more government supportive when you cannot afford. Uh, traditional Medicare and other healthcare. So Medicaid, I did not realize offered any benefits at all for, for mental or behavioral therapy. So it does, it does, it does, it does. It does. As a matter of fact, a lot of the commercial insurances now have managed care through Medicaid because the state no longer wants to be able to manage the Medicare, Medicaid, I'm sorry, I want to make sure I get it correctly. They don't want, no longer want to manage the whole Medicaid process. So what they've done is they've contracted with commercial companies like Aetna and Humana and Sunshine Health and Blue Cross Blue Shield, and they have a Medicaid arm. And so they offer services, Medicaid services through these managed care companies, um, but it's still overseen by the state. Fantastic. So this is state specific. It's Medicaid. It's state specific. So this, Correct. you know, here in Florida, we've got so this this benefit may not be available in all states. But I think this is a this is a big thing. I don't want to get off topic, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there for any of our listeners or audience. If you are dealing with parents or friends that are seniors and they're in the Medicaid space, uh, there's a lot of issues around depression and loneliness. And, and when you're in that state where you're relatively impoverished, you just don't have a lot of money to your name. Uh, that's a real serious need. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's worth checking. Uh, if you know anybody who who's in that space, because that mm -hmm. I, it's just something I I'm grateful I learned about. So Sherry, thank you. I'm yeah. already on both excited sides to join too, us. because it's not just for those who don't have the financial means and, and need Medicaid to assist them with whatever medical issues or medical related issues they have, but also for the caregiver. Interesting. Also wow. The caregivers. Yeah. There's, okay. there's a portion called long-term care and it offers assistance and coverage for caregivers to get the assistance that they need. Which is, which is such a big deal. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't realize this, that the, the, the life expectancy of a caregiver is dramatically shortened 
and uh, major, major complications and issues with mental wellness when we deal with caregiving, mm -hmm. uh, especially for extended periods of time, which unfortunately happens more and more often as we're living longer, mm -hmm. just not necessarily healthy. Uh, so that's wonderful to know. Uh, Sherry, I, I'm going to pull us back a little bit because I could go down that rabbit hole all day long. And I, and I would follow you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really could. I mean, that's the stuff that I really geek out over in my other business. Uh, JD, what kind of law did you practice or did you ever fully practice? Oh, you know, I did. I, I did. Okay. Yeah. I became licensed in 1999 and I started in personal injury law. So I was a personal injury litigation attorney. And did that for a little bit. And then I transitioned over into real estate and I did the transactional side of real estate where I did uh, real estate closings on residential properties. I owned a title company for a number of years. And then I transitioned into real estate litigation. And then the market blew up and I just, I didn't want to deal with that anymore. I just, it was just too much. So I left. And what kind of drove you into, or I, I guess I shouldn't say drove you into because it, it, it probably was voluntary, but what, what brought you into therapy of all things after that? Or were you already dealing with therapy I working wasn't. in real estate? I, do you know, you would, one would think I did counseling, meaning that your client comes in and not really related to real estate, but on the personal injury side. So I would have clients come in and we were talking about their their accidents, whether it's an auto accident or a slip and fall. And then somehow they would segue into, oh, my husband and I and the kids and, and my parents. And we'd end up talking for a whole hour on that. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with why you're here. And I can't even bill you for that. And the more I became disillusioned with the practice of law and the more I became disillusioned with the quality of life, um, that I had at the time practice in law, I, there was something else that I wanted. I wanted, you know, I was getting older. Um, I didn't want to be stuck at someone's beck and call traveling the state of Florida, you know, taking people's houses through these litigation processes. It was just, it was too much. And it was, it was breaking me down mentally and emotionally and I, I couldn't do it anymore. So I started thinking about what aspect of the law I did enjoy and I enjoyed the counseling part of it. And so I had to figure out, is that something I can do for a living and make money? But what was it called? And this is what I found. Here I am. I'm so curious. Mm -hmm. I've worked alongside a lot of attorneys in, in my career. And it's one of those professions where I feel like you can almost do anything as an attorney okay. because you're an attorney. Mm -hmm. So, but you are a licensed therapist. Yes. Did you have to become a licensed therapist or did being an attorney give you the freedom to actually do it anyway? I'm, I'm really, I don't know if there's legal, you know, grounds for you just as an attorney to say, Hey, I'm going to become a therapist. I don't need the license. Right. Oh no, you, you need, you need the license. Like that. The, wouldn't know, that be so nice? Wouldn't it though? <laughs> <laughs> well, you still got to be an attorney. I mean, it's not like you don't have some education. <laughs> Those are called life coaches. Exactly. I so, And I could have done that. I could have just said, you know what? I'm just going to become a life coach and I will use my life experience and try to help people that way. But I wanted to be more intentional in how I helped those who I was trying to help. And so I went back to school for two years, uh, obtained my master's in marriage and family therapy. And then I interned for another two years to you know, accumulate my hours and experience. And became licensed that way. 
very interesting. And, and the family and the marriage therapy, the, that specifically as a subsection of therapy or a specialty or vertical, because of your experience in law and, and some of those not. stories that you were referring to? No. Absolutely no. Okay. not. Listen, when you're 40 something and you're switching careers, I wanted the shortest distance between A and B. And when I did my research and I looked at mental health counseling and I looked at marriage and therapy and I looked at social work. And for me, the shortest distance was marriage and family therapy. It would give me the license that I needed to do what I wanted to do without added stuff that I didn't want to get into. So I'm a big fan of the path of least resistance. That's me. I think there is that misconception out there too of what all the different degrees mean and the intersexuality with it. And um, truthfully, there's such a big difference. People don't know between a licensed therapist and a life coach in general, oh, um, or what the difference between a psychologist, a psychiatrist is. It's all jumble when people talk about it. And actually, most times when I give talks, I spend the first five minutes kind of just going over the differences um, of all the levels. But at the master's level, they are fairly interchangeable as far as a sense of therapy mm -hmm. um, so when you the key is if you're looking for a therapist make sure it has that one keyword in front of it called licensed exactly exactly and and and, and, and to be fair to be fair the the other disciplines mental health counseling and um social work especially social work they have specific areas that they focus on you know, depending on whether you're just a licensed master social worker or a licensed clinical social worker, and that would be the difference between whether or not you do clinical work or other things. And social work, social work also can involve some case management, um, but and marriage and family therapy tends to be more systemic. And I liked that part. I liked how things connected and how they work together. And whenever I think about systems in marriage and family therapy, I always visualize a clock and how, you know, impacting one cog or one wheel can disrupt the whole inner workings of the clock. And, and that spoke to me when I was doing my research. So when I work with my clients, I'm looking at, you know, how does their relationship with their family or their job or their neighborhood or just a significant other you know, what's that relationship like and how, what's the dysfunction in the relationship that's causing the whole system to malfunction? That spoke to me. I got to imagine a lot of, a lot of what breaks the clock, you know, to use your analogy is, is not directly internal in a relationship. There's a lot of external factors that come into play. That's that have to influence that to, mm -hmm. to exactly to your point, right? right. Is, is there, is there some things you see specifically that pop up more often than not? You talk about systemics, or are there some things that you see very commonly as the as, as issues? I, I think most people have pretty much um, similar external factors, usually financial. That's a huge one. If you're having struggles with finances, whether it's you're, you're not making too much, you're not making enough at work, or the bills are too too much, how you how you internalize that and then your behavioral responses to that can affect how you interact with others. You know, you'd be ticked off at your boss. You can't stand your coworker. You come home, you take it out on the kids, you know, you take it out on your husband, all because there's a financial uh, deficit that you don't know how to deal with. Right. So 
I can't help you with the financial part, but maybe I can help you figure out how to manage your responses better so that you're not projecting your displeasure or your anger on everybody around you. Does that make sense? It, it, it does. And it, it kind of begs the question, right? You know, uh, how much better off would we be from a mental wellness perspective just by having better financial education at, at early ages, because that's a, that's a major missing piece uh, that you see, you know, organizations like junior achievement, try to work on that within the school systems and bring that in. So that, that could be a tough one. Now, now your focus is, is woman centric. Uh, do men and women respond the same way here when it comes to financial stress or, or the behaviors and kind of the responses that you see? Is, is it the same or is it a little bit different between the two sexes? I think there's some similarities, but fundamentally there are differences. And I think it's because of how women and men are raised and what and how they're raised to view certain issues or deal with certain situations. And now I'm going to speak in very general terms. This is where the lawyer in me comes out because I always have a caveat, right? Uh, <laughs> you know? you, my, my voice was itching too. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I'm going to speak in very general terms. Uh, but you know, men typically, depending on the cultural implications, are raised to be the hunters, the character, you know, they're the ones that take care of the family. It's their responsibility to make sure that everything runs okay at home. Um, they have kind of this, this overview of what their responsibilities to their families are. Women are typically raised to be the nurturers, the caregivers. They take care of things on the inside, make sure that all the wheels are oiled and running smoothly. But now we live in 2022, where both men and women are out there and we're in the workforce and we're not quite equal, but the responsibilities are the same. But we still address them and we still deal with them very differently. Women tend to become more stressed out um, because they were raised to believe that they get older, they get a job, they get married, and then there'll be a pair of them handling the finances, bringing in the income, and they're doing it together. It's not really working out that way. A lot of the women that I work with are single moms, or they've been married and divorced, and they still have the responsibility of taking care of family. So they tend to become um, more stressed out, they tend to struggle with anxiety and depression more, and it affects them in different ways. Men will still have the same responsibilities of, okay, I still have to take care of the kids, I got to make sure the bills are paid, I got to make sure the car notes paid, that I, I have to make sure, I have to make sure, I have to make sure. That's that pressure that's been placed on y'all by society. You're men, you're supposed to take care of the family, da 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 da. And what happens when men get stressed out? They internalize because Shut down. we don't like to talk, you know? We try to get you to talk and mm -hmm. you say we're bothering you. We're just yeah. trying to share the load. But, you know, men then, they internalize, 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 but what happens when you stuff a bag too much? It begins to pop out on the sides. Eventually, they will blow. Hopefully, they find someone that they can talk to or they find other ways to release all of that stress. But anxiety can affect men in similar ways that it affects women because it will affect their their system internally as well. I think they only shut down is because you only ask those questions during the football games. 
not true. <laughs> no, I know that's not true. And it's actually interesting because in, in my uh, practice, I work a lot more with men. So we have like the antisthenesis and I'm seeing a lot more these days of men opening up and wanting to open up. Yes. And, I'm so happy for that. And what we're finding and what I see a lot and I'm sure Shari will uh, agree with me, maybe um, that a lot of this is societal restrictions. Like we, these are all constructs that were created by society mm -hmm. of these labels that we're supposed to fit in. But if you pull all that back and people are just allowed to be themselves, there's going to be a mixture across sex mm -hmm. that there's going to be some men that are very open and want to share. There's going to be men that are very shut down. There's going to be some women that are very open and very shut down. And it's not across the sex and gender as much as it is just what societal pressures put on it and left to their own device. You would probably see a, a more even mixture across the board. They were really allowed to be I themselves. I would agree. If you just let people be themselves, right? If you just allow them the space to just be themselves, to be authentic, to just be whoever it is that they want to be, I think people would be healthier. I think they'd be more well-adjusted. I think they'd be just happier. But when you try to meet these unreasonable expectations that society places on you, you know, some of them are just... You just can't live up to them no matter what. Every time you think you've you've met the bar, the bar moves higher, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I can't catch a break," you know. But people who learn to just be tend to be a little bit happier. Well, this this kind of speaks to why it's so helpful for people to get exposure to different cultures, mm. right? Because we 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 do grow up with a cultural default. Whatever that happens to be, my cultural default is going to be different than than Andre is uh, different than yours, different than somebody who grew up in China. Yeah. Uh and so I would imagine that there there's a real argument that getting some cultural perspective is a great way to kind of pull us back from you know some of those self-imposed constructs you're talking about, Doc, right? Mm -hmm. Uh are there countries out there, you know, speaking kind of broadly, I, I mean, here in America, we, we do still have pretty defined gender roles for the most part. I, I, I do agree with you. Uh, they, they're, they're shifting, but they're still fairly defined. Uh, that's a reason a lot of women stop working once they have kids, for example. Are there other countries where, you know, we kind of see a, a shift there where the, the roles are a little bit different? In either of your experiences? I'm just, I'm really curious about that. I got to imagine there's other there's other countries or cultures where it's a little bit more uh, the woman's responsibility and the men's responsibilities are swapped a little bit, even. I don't know. What do you think, Doc? Um, I can't think of any. I'm from Jamaica, and it's still a very machismo country. Um, and most of the, the islands in the Caribbean are like that, where the, the men are still, you know, cavemen, and the, the women are supposed to stay home and mind the kids in the home. Um, and that's, that's the culture that... I'm more aware of, even though women are going out more and they're becoming more of the income earners and head of households in the in the islands. But it's pretty similar to here. I can't think of anywhere. I don't know where, where gender roles are swapped as much. What do you think? I mean, it was hard to pinpoint. I think, especially in today's society, we as we really know, it goes all back to power, right? Mm -hmm. like the, creating the power system to kind of keep people in their place and to keep. That's how most laws were created in most countries. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you added religion in, uh, you had another factor in that was, you know, very about control. Mm -hmm. But we did see if you go back in history, which I think is the easier way to look at it. Because um, everyone's saying, oh, this is a new thing. Let's talk about 
uh, gender diversity is a new thing and gender identity and sexuality. These are all new things that are coming in these crazy millennials. If you go back to the Greek times, the Roman times, people lived a lot freer. There wasn't as many defined roles. Uh-huh. People just did whatever. They dressed whatever. Uh-huh. They partook in whatever. And there was no judgment around that. Some did, right. some didn't. Um, so if we look back over time, these weren't as defined out until people needed to kind of create power and control mm-hmm. and put these these constructs in place to control in that way. Um, and generally what we see, and this is where I'll get all the hate comments from the men, but generally the men were in control and put those things in place to mm-hmm. kind of help control those situations. And now they're seeing the pushback, and that's why we're seeing such resistance, because we don't like pushback. Yeah, pretty much. It's a really interesting TikTok, and I and I I I could see the benefit. I mean, you know, why why do we why do we read? Why do we study history? You know, it's, it's because we we can get exposure to some of these other cultures and and the other ways of looking at things versus where we're at today. So I think there's really something to be said about that. Maybe there isn't a country out there. You know, they, I I I can't think of one. You know, there's some countries where where I think women maybe carry a little bit more un, unstated power than others, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's a patriarchy in, in most countries, just essentially. So it's interesting. We, we are seeing a shift here, though, right? I mean, we've even mentioned, you know, we're starting to see a change in these roles. They're not quite even, but they're they're moving in that direction. Uh, is that your expectation, Sherry, when went from from what you see looking forward? I mean, is this something where we're going to continue to see a little bit more of a level playing field in regards to responsibilities and and the partnership role in relationships? I think it is definitely wishful thinking, but, you know, without going into the state of today's politics, I don't know. We're, we're getting some pushback on that front where they, they're wanting to, quote unquote, keep women in their place. So, <laughs> you know, um, but women are, are more vocal about their positions and they are not going quietly. So... We're standing up and we're fighting back against those that want to keep us in the historically patriarchal society setup. We don't want that anymore. You want us to go out there and work, but you don't want us to have a say. It doesn't work like that. Let's get back to the idea of change. People say they love change um, until change starts to happen. And then they're very afraid of change because they get comfortable and they don't want things to change. Mm -hmm. But then generally, once you push through it and the change happens, people are much better off. Um, And I think that's what we see. We're seeing a lot in society is these. These rules that have been around in place for so long, we know we've seen it over time with women's suffrage. We've seen it over with um, equality laws. We're seeing it a lot now with the transgender community. the whole reason pride was invented was these pushbacks against it. And you saw it takes some good progress. And then you hit this wall where people are really afraid of the change. So then you see a regression. And then once you get past that regression, then you push through and you actually see the real change start to happen. And if you look at all the big movements over time, that's what's happened. And it's because of that resistance of you're going to lose your status. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's why we saw things like, you know, January 6th, someone, people were afraid of losing status mm-hmm. and losing those rights, even though it's better off for them in the long run, they don't, they're short-sighted with that, that view of because what they've been raised to see. And you know, what's so interesting is that the one thing that is an absolute constant is change. Whether you want it or not, whether you accept it or not, whether you're expecting it or not, it is going to happen. 
it basically either you get with it or it's just gonna roll right out right over you. So as much as there are those out there who are trying to resist the change that is coming, it will come. Love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it and agree. I mean, we talk about how life is not static all the time. That, that's mm -hmm. a message that comes up all the time. It's dynamic, it's ever changing and it's always changing. Uh, so, the, so the changes we're looking at here, right? And, and in regards to relationships with and, and with the roles you know, a partner has in a relationship, uh, anytime you do have change, though, so you're going to deal with friction. Mm -hmm. So, so a lot of this change is probably, I imagine, at the forefront of conversations that you're having, or maybe not. It's maybe a little embedded within the conversations. You got to dig towards it, but it's a part of it. I, I got, I have to imagine, right? This is the the friction from these changing roles is adding to a lot of what people are working through in relationships. In relationships, and even just individually. People fear change, like Andre said earlier. They fear change because they don't know what's coming. And if they don't know what's coming, then they don't know how they're going to deal with it. They don't know how it's going to affect them. They don't know whether or not they will be able to assimilate or conform. And so they try to resist it. So whether it's me asking you to make a change individually about how you react or respond, or interact with others, or asking a couple in a relationship to make a change, or asking family members within a family dynamic to make changes to how they interact with each other. People are uncomfortable with change. But if it's introduced gradually so that you allow them to become comfortable with it as it's changing, they tend to be pretty okay with it. You know, it's, it's, if you force change on people rather quickly, like Andre said before, they're going to resist and they may revolt. But if you introduce it, you know, it's almost like, and I'm not a baker by any stretch of the imagination, but there are certain baking recipes that requires you to introduce maybe the dry portion into the wet. And you do it a little at a time so that you don't upset the balance. And that's kind of what we do. We, we introduce the change, you know, at a pace that they're comfortable with so that they can assimilate as they're growing. And it's usually much better that way. Yeah. If you're make, ever making a meringue or any kind of whipped topping, you better be very patient with yeah. that change. <laughs> yeah. And there's one thing I think we learn as clinicians is how to become patient with our clients because sometimes we can see where they're going and we can see their ability to get there and what they will do when they get there. But they're so stuck where they are that they can't see what they would look like or what their life would look like once that change has been implemented. And so we try to rush them towards that. We have to pull ourselves back and say, wait a minute, this is not our process. It's theirs. You know, I tell my clients all the time, call me GPS. I'm your navigator. Okay. You're the one who's doing the driving. You're doing the heavy lifting but I'm going to help you get there at a pace that works for you. So, so I take the premise that we are all resistant to change naturally. It's, it's just our natural human reaction is mm -hmm. to be resistant to change because it's, it carries with it uncertainty and we don't like uncertainty. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not comfortable with uncertainty. Uh, that then really what you're saying here is the best way to deal with change isn't to try to become more comfortable with it. It's just to kind of accept it as it comes and take it in bite-sized pieces. How do you, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Right. Mm -hmm. Kind of, kind of the same thing with change, right? How do, how do you manage to change 
one bite at a time. It's it's to keep an know, open I, mind, open mind, yeah. and go in in small steps. My favorite book or video that I have my clients watch is "Who Moved My Cheese," because mm-hmm. it talks about fear and change. Right, and I have them go through it so that they can get comfortable or become comfortable with the idea that okay, change is coming. Now let's think about what the change might look like. Now let's think about what the change might feel like. Now we were if we were just to move this piece before we move everything else, how would you respond to that? Okay, are you comfortable with that? Now let's add a little bit more, you know, but as they become more open to the idea of change, the fact that it's coming and that it might be better for them, they tend to respond in a better manner. And to add to that, I think a lot of the reason why change takes so long and you the slower process works so well, a lot of our resistance is subconscious. Mm-hmm. We don't even realize that we're resisting against some stuff. And we see that a lot going back to the idea of, of males. As a white cis male, we have a lot of, you know, comfort in, in society. We have a lot of, uh, I'm afraid to use the P word. Uh, <laughs> in society these days but we do have a lot of privilege um that is it's not a bad thing it's just inherited in there and subconsciously i think that fear of losing that privilege when other people get um, that acceptance keeps people back in a lot of ways and when we're seeing that in change too you have that subconscious your brain tries to automate everything it can Mm -hmm. um and it likes to automate so it doesn't have to think about it it can just do it so it naturally is going to be resistant to some things that involve change because then it has to relearn something. Right. So doing that subtle pattern gives your brain a chance to catch up also. Absolutely. So it kind of, it prompts a question out of me, doc. Uh, the more comfortable we are, the more resistant we are to change. A lot of times, um, depending on the scenario. So our, so it depends. Like, it depends. Day. It depends on what you're comfortable with. Are you comfortable with change, or are you comfortable with where you are? Are you? And is it comfortability? I hate that word. Is it being comfortable, or is it complacent? Because if you become complacent, then I think you'd be more resistant to change because then it becomes uncomfortable. Right. Jamie, have you noticed that every therapist that you've ever interviewed on here always says depends? I have. I, I, I also. I also have never heard <laughs> comfortability more in my life than since I started chatting with therapists. <laughs> Says the person whose handle is at comfortably blum. <laughs> right, that's the, that's a playoff, Pig Floyd. I, <laughs> <laughs> this this is a, this is a fascinating conversation. I could I could continue on this conversation for a long time. I have one last question I want to ask though. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just is there a difference in, in your experience with with the gender's ability to manage to change have we have you or we as a culture have we found that hey women are better at change than men because they 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 have a less comfortable place in society or is there a correlation there i don't know if it's that they have a less comfortable place in society but i think women have had to navigate change more often and more consistently so they might be more willing to change as a as opposed to men and you gentlemen will have to speak from the male point of view um i think as women as we get older 
you know, we have the physiological changes that we go through as we go through puberty. We have change um, in society and relationships. We're always navigating some sort of change. And so we become more open to the idea of change happening. And so we kind of prepare for it. You'd have to tell me what men do to prepare for change. Um, and if you become more comfortable as you get older. I, I can answer that. We turtle. <laughs> we we internalize it. We turtle. <laughs> so I'm going to have my caveat because I always go back to this uh -huh. is JB turtles, right? Like, cause we're, that's why I don't even really like that question. I appreciate and I understand why there, there is some differences that seem to be fundamental. Uh -huh. Uh, but I always go back to it's really up to the individual because okay. trying to speak for any, it's like saying all people with beards do this right. or all, I mean, we, we put that kind of context around a gender and around a sex that we would never think about putting around other things in life and trying to put them into categories, right? All men do this, all women do this. All right-handers do this. All left-handers do this. All people that wear socks do this. We would never think about doing it in those other contexts, but we do it around that because we've just been so programmed that there is these innate differences based strictly on that one chromosome, which is really a bunch of chromosomes. So it mm -hmm. shows how different we are on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, so I always, that's always my caveat back to, to trying to separate those things out that way. So, so Doc would say I never listen, but I, I actually can can use the words that he would say on a pretty regular basis here. We're, we're all on a spectrum. So, yeah. so you know, we, we all fall somewhere on the spectrum, and that's going to much more define our responses than, you know, just I'm a man or you're a woman type of type of situation. So I appreciate that, Doc. I do listen on occasion. And the turtling was more about a joke, but there's maybe always a little kernel of truth in every joke. So I don't know. Well, and I think it, I mean, it was, it was very specific to the person too, though, right? Like they think that's what's, what's great about it. Uh -huh. um, so people will identify with that. No, this is a fascinating conversation. I mean, truly a very, a very fascinating conversation. I think there's a lot that we could apply here. Uh, yeah, you know, in all of our lives, business, personal relationships. I mean, it's all intertwined. You, you, you never really leave the office at home and you never really leave the home at the home. Mm -hmm. You know, that comes into the office too. So really awesome conversation share, really enjoying this one. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Not quite where I thought we were going to go, but I'm happy to be here. Like I said, so wherever you go, I'll go. It just means we have to have future conversations. Yeah. Yep. I'm ready. Can you uh, let our audience know how the best way to get in touch with you would be? So if you are seeking services and you are insurance-based, you can contact me at Serendipity Counseling and Consulting at 754-999-0716. Our website address is up on the screen, www.serendipitycounselingllc.com. If you are an adult woman or a teen girl who's struggling and you don't have the means or insurance, you can contact us at the Serendipity Women's Mental Wellness Foundation. The phone number there is 954-641-8464. That's 954-641-8464. Our website is www.serendipitywomensmwfoundation.org. And of course, all that information will always be in the show notes down below. Yeah. Sherry, thank you so much for joining us in the lab today. I, I learned quite a bit. So I, I hope our audience and our and our viewers did as well. 
Well, thank you for having me. It's good to finally meet you, JV. I mean, I love hanging out mm. with Doc because he's always fun to be around. But when you guys started this two years ago, I was wondering what you were doing. Uh, now I know. We, we still wonder what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Most people do. <laughs> but I had fun. Thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Very Thanks well. for joining us. I did not expect the conversation to carry the way it did there, Doc. Uh, really some great insight i think from from both of you just on how we how we manage to change and how can we address change successfully because it, it is something that we're always going to have to to deal with i mean that's what evolution right is over time change happens and it does even though we talk about like the slow roll of change it seems like it's slow change does happen kind of quick over if you look in the big macro um especially we talk about today's society if you go back say you know to, you know thousand to maybe 1300s there probably wasn't a lot of big changes you've seen in society but if you look at the changes from the 1900s to the 2000s into today like changes happen very rapidly in society so we have to adjust a little bit in our mindset to to that as well and I think that's the view that we look at and say we get overwhelmed when reality is change has been happening forever. So I, I, I got to ask a question here that is is kind of in the back of my mind. You know, I, I read a study recently that the vast majority of cigarette smokers quit by affecting a dramatic change immediately. They don't quit by substitution. They don't quit by slowly backing off. They quit by cold turkeying. Cigarettes. And, th and that's statistically true. The, the vast number of people who quit, quit cold turkey. That's a big, hard change very quickly. Uh, it's it's very contradictory to what we talked about on the podcast. So uh, are, are there instances where big and abrupt change is actually a more effective break for people, uh, like a large, abrupt disruption like that? So I think what you're, you're talking about, okay, we're going to go back to my favorite word, depends. Um, but what you're so, talking about specifically is a behavioral change that is, you know, like a tangible activity. And I think what we were talking about on the podcast, a, a lot of it was these are more emotionally based, um, life-based changes where there is some of the same thing. If you're quitting smoking, I know that's very difficult and there's a lot of emotion attached to it, but it's very a tangible thing. It's not just strictly like identity based, like some of the stuff we were talking about plays to your identity. It plays to your, your life, your status. There's a lot of things attached to that, which makes it even harder to harder to process that change. But a behavioral change can be the same way. And I would love to see, you know, the study, what are the statistics around that? What was the, the number of people they researched doing that? Um, what were the controls, everything in that? The things I kind of look at when we're seeing studies to see who wrote the study? What were they trying to show? Um, so there's always these variables when you're reading studies to keep in mind. That's just more for our audience uh, as they're doing their research on things. Um, but it depends on the situation, depends on the person. Some of that drastic change is good for something like that because maybe the slow roll on maybe a cigarette smoking, right? You're still doing that activity. So you're still reminding your brain of what it feels like. Uh, so it's harder to break away from that. Whereas the cold turkey on that one gives your break a brain from that feeling. So it, it, it's easier to kind of do that. Can't necessarily do that in life. You can't make a big change in life and then just, you know, cut life off. 
So it's a little bit harder to kind of do something abrupt in that way. Well, it's no different than our response versus reaction conversation, I guess. You know, you, you if you don't want to react to something, you need to take the time to process something so you can respond. And it holds true with change. If you really want to be able to you know, accept change, you've got to be able to allow yourself to process through it. And you could have a big change immediately, but that doesn't mean that you aren't going to need time to process through it. Uh, so it might just be easier to process through small changes a little bit at a time instead of one mid big major change at once when it comes to all the intangibles you just talked about. Right. right. Uh, cause, cause I see your point. I mean, that's a very different scenario when we're talking about something very tangible versus intangible. And when you, we're dealing with identity and gender and our roles and, and all those things, uh, it's a challenge. And anybody who's ever been through an identity, identity change of any type, it could mean, Hey, I, I was this profession for a long time where that's, that's what you identified as. And now I'm no longer that profession. As Sherry mentioned, you know, that career change that, that can take a lot of time to process. And I'm speaking from personal experience with that, having gone through identity change from a professional standpoint. So uh, really very interesting stuff. Uh, I love the conversation. I'm glad we had Sherry join us. And uh, really a lot for me to chew on just from a business perspective, how that can you know carry over into business because I think there's always that interplay. I'm just interested to w which direction you thought the podcast was going to go. Who knows? I mean, could have gone any number of directions. That's the fun thing about the podcast. Yeah, you never know where the conversation is going to grow. A lot of times it's just what I'm curious about at that moment when I'm asking questions. I don't have a plan in place, man. We're very intentionally unintentional. Uh, <laughs> in these conversations, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't want to have a specific plan in place. I'd rather see where the conversation goes. because, And I think that's what we proud ourselves with this podcast is to actually have some real conversations with real professionals. That way you can get into stories like that are more natural and hopefully helpful for you as the listeners. Let us know what you think. Send us feedback. Yeah, appreciate it. And if you haven't already, give us a like, give us a subscribe, a follow. We do this to give you the insight and impact and ability to get better at your business and at yourself. And we want to do that for more people. So if you haven't yet, please go ahead and do so. And for all of those of you still listening, watching, and uh, part of the audience, thank you for your time and attention. We appreciate you. And of course, if you didn't know, we've got a lot of good stuff coming up. We've got Evolve Networking Live coming up here in Southeast Florida on October 27th. You're not going to want to miss that. If you haven't been one to a, one of our live events yet, they are not to be missed. Part mastermind, part workshop, all awesome. And in case this podcast came out after October 27th, you missed Impossible. it. And we'll you have another. the next one. We'll have another. Virtually. Just in case. Hedging our bets. We've also got a couple freebies out there for any of you who might be interested. We have the six methods to make sure your business doesn't fail. This is a good one. If you haven't checked this out, check it out. We offer some actionable ways you can make sure it's your competition failing and not you. And we also have our seven-minute masterclass, the RIP method to 2X your time. So if you're looking to get better with your time and manage yourself even better, we've got a great process and system you can start following immediately starting tonight to help start 2Xing your time. If you have any questions for us, you can always reach out to us at jbandthedoctor.com. You can find us on all our social media at jbandthedoctor. You can slide into our DMs. Or you can check us out on this podcast. And our blog that accompanies with it every week. So we look forward to seeing you on all those places. Don't be shy. Say hi. Nicely done, Doc. I like that. I might just coin that phrase now. Yeah, you got it. Copyright. All right. Everybody, thank you, Rockstars. I'm JB. I'm out. Peace out, yo.